Welcome to Podcast Sans Frontiers, a Metal Gear Solid audio experience. Here, we infiltrate the narrative, interrogate the characters, extract the themes, via Fulton, of course, and finally face down the technological behemoth that is the Metal Gear franchise. Nuclear deterrence has brought us peace. At the very least, it's prevented another world war from breaking out. I'm Manu, also known as Manuclear Bomb. Hi, I'm Brian. Today's episode is The Perfect Deterrent, our fourth entry into our coverage of 2010's Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. Today we meet Hot Coldman and Huey Emmerich before facing down our first unmanned AI weapon. But before that, our spoiler warning for this and every episode. Everything is declassified. We know who Sigint becomes, we know who Meryl marries, we know the fate of Master Kazahira Miller. This is not a playthrough podcast. It's all on the table for discussion as we progress through the games. What Coldman is saying is that to achieve this goal, we need to demonstrate that retaliation will be carried out by a machine. He will launch his nuke. And then his version of deterrence will be complete. Having rescued Chico, Snake returns to his original mission, to track the cargo that Peace Sentinel, the CIA-backed security outfit, is sending up the mountains towards Irazu. Chico filled Snake in on the transport route. There's a train station back through where Snake came that they use to load and unload shipments. Snake just has to slip through the factory on the other side of the village. The player will rework through some of the maps from the previous level as we start out in the village and make way to the aforementioned factory. There's a direct and less direct route to take, and in this game, the latter often leads you to prisoners of war you can Fulton back to Mother Base, often with really good stats. When Snake reaches the train terminal, you will have to clear the field of about a half dozen sentries patrolling the area. It's not especially difficult, since they are bunched together for most of their patrols. If you are going to go for a stealth or non-lethal playthrough, you'll have to be quick with the headshots or the troops will keep waking each other up. The classic uh, stealth game conundrum. Stop waking each other up from... Stop being obviously attacked and just be like, hey, get up, hey, get up, hey, get up. It's great. All the all these people I'm uh, on patrol with all of a sudden had onset epi- or narcolepsy. Is that yeah. the one where you yeah. just fall asleep? <laughs> Fucking the ghastly universe. Suddenly, suddenly, Snake is found himself inside the Elder Scrolls. Yeah. Oh my goodness, are you all right? Oh my goodness, are you all right? Speak, speak, uh, speak. Uh, if we ever do get a Metal Gear Solid Six, hopefully the AI will have develop further where they're like, wait a second, this shouldn't be happening. And then they do something else, or at least take you into caution mode. Snake realizes that the nukes have already been moved. It's too late. He was able to glance at the troops loading the nukes onto a truck, though. Snake was able to catch the license number before it sped off. And this is all a trap, too. An enemy tank shows up, a T-72 Ural, blowing the tunnel shut and seeking out Snake. Just like with the Lab G last episode, we have a vehicle mini-boss encounter where you have to neutralize the enemy escort unit and then either destroy the tank or take out its pilot. The respawning combat soldiers are a little harder to track this time out. With the Lab G, all reinforcements hopped out of the back of the vehicle. With this battle, troops respawn from certain corners of the map, heralded first by a flashbang sound effect. So the players will have to... Uh, ratchet up their awareness to avoid being spotted, especially if you're going for that S rank. But that's usually a thing for repeat passes with these missions. 
The tank will also be actively blowing away your cover, i.e. the train cars, so the field is a bit more dynamic than it was previously. The tank has two fuel containers on its back, which you can destroy for extra damage, and it will also halt the tank in place for a time. Uh, anything you wanted to say about the tank battle? It's uh, it's kind of derivative. They're all the vehicle, but I guess the, the the helicopter battle later is a little bit different. But they're, they're all derivative of each other, and they're all just kind of the same challenge. But that's not that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that for many bosses. It's, it's I mean that's a that's a Metroid staple, just having kind of a uh derivation of one boss is like a is like a uh, mini boss thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I don't, but I don't yeah. have much. It's just kind of this is sort of the fight. It's fine. Oh yeah, I don't think these mini boss battles that we're covering are anything extraordinary or like super notable in terms of the great Metal Gear sequences. A lot of these missions are definitely made up so that um, you can come back and yeah. beat them over and over again, so you can acquire the tanks and ATVs uh, for Mother Base. Once defeated, Snake takes an alternative route thanks to Chico. Returning to the prison camp, Snake blows his way through a barricade and towards a bridge up into the mountains. The difficulty starts stiffening here, as enemies start wearing helmets with this mission. In this game, you usually have to shoot an enemy's helmet off first before you can land headshots, though you can get helmet-piercing weaponry later in the game. There's some good stuff in the briefing files as well, including Snake mentioning he had worked with C3 back in the Soviet Union, Operation Snake Eater and blowing up the Shagohad, and a tape about coffee production which leads Snake to mention an old companion who hated coffee but loved tea. That is zero. In the mission briefing, Chico will start referring to El Basilisco. This is what he calls the Peace Walker mobile tank unit, though there's plenty to unpack with the name meaning King of Snakes. In one way, it's a reflection of Big Boss, who himself is a king of snakes, having defeated the Cobra unit 10 years ago. But it could also refer to the Metal Gear-like mech itself being the bane of Snake's existence, his rival of sorts. Or perhaps a better analog is it representing the boss, Snake's mentor, the leader of the Cobra unit, and the one person who always bested Snake himself. Additional layer knowing that Peace Walker is controlled by an AI modeled after the boss. The player gets a call after the mission that Amanda is demanding leave of sickbay. Kaz doesn't want to cut her loose before she heals, but Snake thinks otherwise. If that's what she wants, let her go. Her place is the battlefield, and that is where her compas will look for her. All that is well and good, mostly because you can now assign Amanda to one of MSF's teams, and of course she is stacked. I'm referring to her stats, of course. Snake works towards the mountain base, and again, the difficulty keeps turning up as troops are now carrying rocket launchers. And maps will start including gun placements, usable by both enemies and Snake. Snake even remarks that he has used one before, once more referring to the mountainside during Operation Snake Eater. We get a lot of information on the Costa Rica Civil War here, which we'll probably talk more when we wrap up this game. The amount of 20th century Latin American history you will get in our Peace Walker coverage is going to be 10 times more than I got in my AP history classes back in high school. When you reach the end of the map, you have a puzzle of sorts. Basically, you have to identify the truck with the nukes based on the license plates of all the parked trucks. There's no real urgency or downside here, and pretty much all the quote-unquote wrong trucks have some kind of Easter egg in them, except one that just has fishes. These Easter eggs include a truck that's shipping metal gear, that is to say, gears made of metal, 
Another truck will have a pinup of Mei Ling. And then there's... Mr. Kojima. And yes, Kojima then gets added to your team back at MSF. I think his primary skill was in Intel, but he too is stacked like Amanda. And again, not like that. The final and correct truck will be empty. The nukes have already been offloaded and moved. Snake then overhears two people talking. Or rather, one man antagonizing another, the latter of whom appears to be in a wheelchair, but has a very familiar voice. These are Hot Coldman, CIA station chief down here, and Huey Emmerich. Yeah, Emmerich. Father of our dear boy, Atacon. We'll get to Huey here in a bit, but for now, let's dive into Hot Coldman, one of the primary antagonists of Metal Gear Solid, Peace War. Peace won't just come to us, stock. We are going to have to meet it halfway. V for victory. Hot Coleman is a CIA station chief in Central America and is secretly running the Peace Walker Project and the Peace Sentinel Security Force guarding it. Coleman will, will reveal himself to have been chief architect of Operation Snake Eater, two big boss later on in this game. His involvement and intimate knowledge of that most secret of ops is why the CIA put him out to pasture in Latin America. We saw something similar happen to all of Solid Snake's support staff following the Shadow Moses incident. Coldman, however, wouldn't be so easily relegated. He obtained blueprints of a new bipedal weapon called Metal Gear, plans that had been recovered from hero of socialism himself, Alexander Leonovich Granin, who we met in Snake Eater. He further enlisted Huey Emmerich, a known Granin colleague, and Dr. Strangelove to start developing his own nuclear tank platform. Coldman is a pale, bald, slim man, often shown in slacks and suspenders and tie. Original art designs show him in a coat and fedora, which look an awful lot like Skullface, to be honest. Which, I do think I considered the possibility that Skullface could secretly be Hot Coldman in the initial trailers for MGSV, though that crackpot didn't end up having much water. Coldman's bald head is ordained with the tattoo in back. A wolf holding a peace logo with the words, Homo homini lupus, meaning man is a wolf to his fellow man. Makes me think of the Pink Floyd album Animals, oh, and probably all the previous wolf imagery in MGS, going back to Sniper Wolf. Coldman bears a resemblance to Sigma of the Mega Man X series, which isn't a total accident. Coldman and Sigma share a Japanese voice actor, Mugahito. Coldman, too, was a Mega Man villain in the game Mega Man and Bass, or Bass, which I think is functionally Mega Man 8.5 of sorts. And I don't think I mentioned it earlier, but Hot Coldman is voiced in the American version by H. Richard Green. And yeah, that name, Hot Coldman, is one of the most Kojima names ever, second only to Die Hard Man in my estimation. The name is fairly literal here. He's a symbol of the Cold War, one who's threatening to turn it into a hot one. He was heavily involved in Operation Snake Eater, directly against the Soviets then, and now by proxy in Central America now. Coldman's sadistic nature towards both Snake and the peoples of Latin America is American chauvinism in action, the utter disregard for other peoples or countries so long as it furthers American interests. The CIA is probably the most contemptible and awful organization on the globe, uh, though FIFA is close, and Coldman properly captures its essence here. To that end, he's directly compared to William Walker in this game, an American mercenary from the 1850s, and mercenary is about the kindest way I can describe this asshole. 
This guy organized several illegal incursions into Central America, including Mexico and Nicaragua, in hopes of securing land and setting up slaveholding colonies. He labeled this activity as filibustering and pretty much got away with everything under the doctrine of manifest destiny. He would commit several war crimes along the way, including poisoning water wells leading to breakouts of cholera amongst resistance forces and indigenous populations. He was even able to position himself as president of Nicaragua in the country's capital, albeit briefly, as a coalition of local armies from Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador would eventually surround the capital city. Walker would surrender himself to U.S. forces and eventually end up in Honduras for execution. Anyway, that's the sort of legacy Coleman is picking up in Central America. Just uh, as a slight reference, another reference to Spec Ops. Well, I guess it's an opposite one. But I think Walker was also the uh, namesake for the main player character in Spec Ops The Line. Another, one of the only other games ever made that actually openly deals with like American hegemony. Um, yeah, so I just thought that because I'm pretty sure that's who they named him after. Just as like a reference to be like, hey, you're, you're playing as a, a piece of shit who's turning uh, the Middle East into his own personal fiefdom. So, okay. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent deliberate. It's it's actually great yeah. how often we mention that game uh, on this podcast as the only other military action game remotely in the realm of Metal Gear. Yeah, at least in only, terms of theme and story. The only problem is it's just not like fun to play at all. <laughs> it's a shame. Oh, and I mean, uh, I didn't have it in here, but obviously, also uh, William Walker, Peace Walker. I, I'm sure that's very obviously supposed to be a connection. Yeah. Anyway, that's the sort of legacy Coldman is picking up here in Central America. Having no use for people, he believes AIs and machines are the key to the future. His meme endures in the Metal Gear canon as the person who introduced the concept of AIs that Zero and the Patriots would evolve over time. The names he gave the AI weapons in Peace Walker, names from the four Mount Rushmore presidents, would become those of the governing Patriot AIs themselves. And I think, too, it's worth circling back to his hatred of the boss or the joy. He long resented her as her charisma and will went against his own operating procedure. He takes pride in organizing Operation Snake Eater and eliminating the boss and views eliminating Big Boss as the next logical step. At the end of MGS4, Big Boss exposited about how the Patriot AIs lost sight of the will of the boss, and it's possible this can be Coleman's contribution to the system, not unlike how Skullface's lust for revenge made, it, made its way into the system as well. A big focus on this Walkman trilogy is seeing how people involved will leave their own DNA in this new Patriot hegemony. Zero may be where it starts, but Coldman, Skullface, Big Boss, Strangelove, Huey, et al. leave their own marks along the way. On that line, it would have been maybe even nicer if he'd, if he'd end up being the actual progenitor of the Patriots. But hey, you know, we got to have Major Zero do that. And it doesn't, still doesn't quite make sense, but it's fine. It's just it's it, that's the big that's the big gap in, in the canon to me is that I don't know if they do well enough to actually show how this stuff spiraled out of control and became and it became the Patriot system because like in V you, you hear you still hear a lot about how how involved Zero is with Cipher and how deliberately all the stuff is his design and it just doesn't it doesn't quite track but that's fine it would have been nicer if I think if they'd made characters like cold that be more involved like sociopaths so it made more sense but you know maybe maybe the maybe the point is just that any any system designed and used by the united states will eventually become that 
No, I can see that. I think part of it is also Kojima going wild with the zero concept and using yeah. him as a structural absence um, so that his non-presence is like his thing, um, which kind of makes sense if you think about what MGS2 was saying about what the Patriots are, that they're formless, shapeless. So I can kind of see that being the tail wagging the dog, but I'm not saying that necessarily makes it a good choice or yeah. um, the best choice or anything like that. Okay, so where were we? Oh yeah, Naked Snake was dropping some eaves on Huey and Coleman's conversation. Coleman believes Peace Walker is the perfect deterrent, but to prove his case, they need to launch a nuclear strike proving Peace Walker's supremacy. Coleman's perfect deterrence theory rests on three principles, which are, you must have nuclear weapons, you cannot use them first, but three, you must retaliate if attacked. These conditions must be met for the Peace Walker AI to be a viable decision maker, but there's no way to prove the third principle without a nuclear attack first, which Huey is not on board with. Coleman threatens to discredit Huey if he doesn't cooperate. Emmerich is currently titled as the lead designer on Peace Walker, but people don't realize that they are Granin's designs, who is, you know, a filthy communist. To hammer home the point, Coleman pushes Huey's wheelchair down a flight of stairs, sending man and chair flying. Coleman departs the crater base here. He and Peace Walker are being moved to an underground mine elsewhere for final activation with Strangelove's AI. Snake rushes to Huey's aid. Hey, it's David Hayter and Chris Randolph interacting. Yay! Huey warns Snake about Coleman's intentions and, then, and that they need to stop him. Snake makes it to the hangar, but Peace Walker is already being airlifted out of the place. And out of nowhere, in flies the Shagohad? No, not the Shagohad, but the Pupa, the first of the AI weapon Snake faces in this game. Let's get into it a little bit. We use this facility to develop unmanned weapons. Unmanned? Robots. The one you just fought was a Pupa. There's also a flying type called Chrysalis and a treaded type, the Cocoon. So we'll talk about the Pupa fight now. The Pupa is officially designated the GW Pupa 5000, which the GW should ring a bell or seven. And its physical design is basically the Shagohad, which would line up with Coleman's work being based off all the documents recovered from Selino Yarsk in the 1960s. The pupa's emergence now foreshadows that Coleman knew Big Boss when on, was on his tail all along. This will become explicit later in the game when we learn Coleman has been secretly working with Zadornov, the real name of Professor Galvez. The word oh, pupa, it, yeah, spoilers. <laughs> the word pupa is a broad term used to describe the intermediate stage of insect development in between larva and adult. The other two AI weapons, Chrysalis and Cocoon, are very specific versions of the pupil stage, varying from insect to insect. There were other AI weapons designed for this game that did not make the final cut. There was the Bell, a tank vehicle, the Odette, a submarine AI weapon, the Scarlet, a winged aircraft, and a tower known as Sleeping Beauty. All those names being taken from famous heroines or princesses from popular fiction. Moving on to the pupa fight itself, the AI weapon battles are all-out firefights and have roughly the same structure. You'll usually go into these battles loading out with rocket launchers and machine guns, and you can expect to request supplies via support marker often during these encounters. Expect to do that. You should. You have to do this most of the yeah. time. Yeah, I that's think, the thing uh, that threw me off the first time I played is I didn't understand that. 
Mm-hmm. It's such a different way to play Metal Gear compared yeah. to everything else. That's uh, the first time I played Peace Walker. I had the same like, oh, uh, this is like a thing I have to do now. Yeah, the only time you wouldn't have to reload or call them is when you're like trying to 100% this game and your rocket launchers can pretty much yeah. do it with six rockets. But that's, you have to play this game quite a lot to get to that point. The AI weapon's health bar is 10 discrete units, five on five at the top of the heads up display. Hitting the AI weapons anywhere will cause damage, though some parts are more vulnerable than others. The AI pod, a black cylinder with red lights, is the weakest and usually what you will target the first time facing these bosses. It's the quickest way to defeat the unmanned vehicles, especially when you don't have super powerful weapons yet. You'll come back to these battles over and again if you want to build your own Metal Gear, which is required to get the game's second or true ending. In the subsequent bouts, you will want to target the primary engines and weapons on them and not the AI pod. This will allow you to recover those parts to build Zeke. Along these lines, you can disable the AI's best weapons by targeting them. For example, if you shoot the pupa's rocket engines, it won't be able to use them during the fight. Regardless of which parts you shoot during the encounter, in the end the pupa will be stunned and you will have to shoot open the AI pod and hop in. You then have about a minute to take any circuit boards you dislodge during the battle. This will be dependent on what parts of the AI you targeted. Boards will have icons next to them, a letter with a color backsplash that indicate what sort of part you are recovering, head, weapons, engine, legs, etc. These icons also pop up when you inflict damage on the AI weapons, so you know exactly what parts you're unlocking. With the pupa defeated, Snake has a chance to meet Huey Emmerich proper, which we will do as well. My father worked on the Manhattan Project. He put his whole life into that research, and all it created was this illusion of peace called deterrence. And then I was born, unable to walk. I had no choice but to face up to the nukes. Ooh boy, Huey Emmerich, voiced by Christopher Randolph. Huey is a whole thing, though at least for our purposes, his whole thing is a much bigger deal in MGSV, where this awful man really comes into focus. Well, kinda. The crimes of Huey Emmerich are left technically unconfirmed, what with the ambiguity being a big thrust in Metal Gear Solid V. Huey is Hal Emmerich's father, Daddy Otacon, and Emma, or E.E.'s stepdad, and neither really had any kind words for him in previous games. The name Huey is itself a nickname given by Strangelove to Dr. Emmerich during their time in NASA together in the late 50s and early 60s. The name is taken from a service robot from the sci-fi film Silent Running, which also has trouble with motion. The director of Silent Running is Doug Trumbull, who worked on SFX for perhaps Kojima's favorite film, 2001 A Space Odyssey. If anyone saw the teaser trailer for the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon, The Rings of Power, which, great name, um, that was all actual practical effects done uh, with redwood and molten steel, and that was actually created by Doug Trumbell as well. And the Huey in that movie is a call-out to Scrooge McDuck's nephew from DuckTales. We get to make a lot of Karl Marx references on this pod, but this might be our first time making a Karl Barks one. Though Huey, Dewey, and Louie were created by Ted Osborne and Al Talia Farrow. Huey isn't a one-to-one clone of Hal. They look very similar, but are distinct enough that you should be able to tell the two apart in pictures. 
He is depicted in a wheelchair for this game, though that will be upgraded to prosthetic legs in The Phantom Pain. Otherwise, glasses, lab coat, slacks, the classic Emmerich look. Huey's I, I, dad consider, work- I consider Hal more the lab coat guy. I know that he wears one in this game, but I, I think of Huey in Phantom Pain with like his suspenders. And, yeah, no, uh, that's fair too. Yeah. Um, I think right now, just in my mind, when I picture Otacon, I think of his like sweater turtleneck from yeah. MGS4 because we just uh, covered that one. Huey's dad worked on the Manhattan Project, and Huey himself was born on August 6, 1945, the day we bombed Hiroshima. Huey was born with a malformed spine and was unable to walk as a result. He blamed his father's exposure to nuclear radiation as the cause of it. He would later revile his father's work when he first saw pictures of what the nuclear bombs did to Hiroshima on his birthday. He would graduate from MIT at a young age and go to work for NASA, where he would meet Strangelove as mentioned. He was also actively chatting with Comrade Grannon across the Iron Curtain. Grannon's Metal Gear designs were recovered by Ocelot during Operation Snake Eater, which he then handed over to the CIA Director-in-Chief. Coleman would later obtain them and assign Huey to building Peace Walker in 1972, knowing his history and knowledge of Grannon's work. That pretty much catches us up to Peace Walker, but we can at least have an eye ahead to Huey and MGSV. He's likely, though unconfirmed, the traitor that led to the destruction of Mother Base at the end of Ground Zeroes. He, at the very least, was insistent on having the UN give Mother Base a clean bill of health, aka no nukes, which gave Skullface an in to start his own insurrection. We'll also learn he killed Dr. Strangelove after they got romantically involved in the late 70s. And they even had a child, one Hal Emmerich. Huey's designs for Sahelanthropus required a child pilot, and with no Shinji Ikari around, he tried to put his baby son in this new Metal Gear. Strangelove was rightfully against this, which led to Huey locking her inside an AI pod, killing her. Strangelove did have Hal sent away to the States before her death, thankfully. Yeah, I think, uh, I think, uh, this is to bring back more, uh, 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 Eva fucking references. I think, I think that's a good shorthand for any Japanese creator to be like, let's, <laughs> let's make it, let's, Let's 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 get a Shinji situation going here, and that, that that's just kind of shorthand for this guy's a piece of shit. Like this is a bad this is a bad <laughs> person. Although in this game he's not, and I hadn't really been hammered down yet. Obviously, I don't, I haven't fully finished it. I don't think there's anything with Huey in this game that paints him as like a particularly evil figure. But I think that's also because most of that goes to Coleman. So mm-hmm. Huey's just sort of he is sort of in this game just kind of like. Uh, Otacon Jr. almost like yeah this is very similar to MGS1 Otacon I would say yeah he's pretty much almost uh, doing that same thing and I'm kind of thinking about that because we talked about it earlier how big boss in this game is you know he's portrayed as a good guy um, even if he's you know on his path towards building an army that becomes whatever in later games or the story Um, it's funny that like yeah Snake and uh, Emmerich are pretty much just portrayed as solid people in this and then MGSV is kind of like where we see the shittier side of both of them. Yeah. Um it's kind of like a two faces coin we're seeing the non-scarred portion, the non-punished version I guess would be the <laughs> uh right term. Punished punished Harvey Dent a fallen legend. <laughs> that actually kind of works. Huey's true loyalties will be a major question of the Phantom Pain, and we will dive into that in full when we get there. Again, it's very likely he unleashed the parasites on Mother Base, leading Venom Snake to have to kill his own men to prevent its spread. 
and Lord knows what else, but we will get there. Huey does survive the Phantom Pain and makes it back to the States and reunites with his son Hal and would remarry to one Julie Danziger. We don't know too much about her, but she was British, which could have given Huey Strangelove vibes. Danziger had a child at the time, Emma, who we know from MGS2. Danziger would go on to have an affair with Hal, again documented in Sons of Liberty, which led to Huey drowning himself in the family pool. He almost killed Emma in the process, leading to her aquaphobia that we see during the Big Shell incident. Huey himself plays on a lot of the same themes as his son Otacon, but as the dark side of it all, he's the big boss to Hale's solid snake. The father created this world of sin, and it's up to the son to atone for it. We will get much, much deeper into this in MGSV. Despite a feeling of deja vu, Huey is curious who this armed stranger is that saved him. Snake claims he's an entomologist in search of the Morphos butterfly. I want to call out the butterfly imagery all over this game. Actual butterflies on maps, and the Peace Sentinel logo is a butterfly, stamped on all the AI weapons including Peace Walker itself. But we saw this imagery going back to MGS3. Snake is greeted by butterflies after defeating the Sorrow, he just misses catching one in that cave with Eva, and shapes the C3 he uses to blow the Grozny- he uses to blow up Groznygrad into a butterfly. As this game is very much about Snake experiencing some sort of catharsis about Operation Snake Eater 10 years prior, we see the images and symbols of it invade our current narrative. It's also a reference to Kojima's favorite adult sim show of the early 2000s, The Venture Brothers. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Who knows? It could be. <laughs> Huey goes on to give some background on Coleman and deterrence theory, which we went over already. He mentions the holes in deterrence theory that Coleman is trying to highlight that a human being would be unable to retaliate for a nuclear attack because it basically sentences the world to nuclear apocalypse. This idea is in part referring to Vasily Arkhipov, a seaman on a Soviet submarine who rejected launching a nuclear strike after American forces were being belligerent in Cuban waters during the missile crisis. And I'm sure Kojima is channeling Stanislav Petrov, who also likely stopped all-out nuclear war by correctly identifying a false alarm in the Soviet Defense Force in 1983. That takes place after the events of Peace Walkers, for what it's worth. Huey goes on to talk about how with the uncertainty of human response, there will always be a first-strike advantage when it comes to nukes. This pokes a massive hole in existing theories on mutually assured destruction, so that's why Hot Coldman is designing an AI, the perfectly rational responder. Huey specifically is here to work the bipedal tank aspect of the project. For Coldman to deploy Peace Walker in Central America, it needs to be able to travel any terrain, including water, so a tank that could swim and walk on two legs or four was the ideal design, calling back to what Gronin said a decade ago. Walking nuke. I sort of borrowed the original idea from behind the Iron Curtain. The missing link between infantry and artillery. Metal Gear. Lucky for Snake, he's about five days until the platform is truly operational. The AI brain is not ready, specifically the higher function AI brain known as the Mammal Pod. Huey himself worked on the reptile pod responsible for lower-level cognitive function. This parallel should remind you of MGS4's ending. Fox Alive essentially destroyed the cerebrum of ma- or mammal pod equ- equivalent while leaving the brainstem, the reptile pod equivalent, intact. Snake can stop the completion of the mammal pod AI by hunting down Dr. Strangelove, who Huey seems to have a big old crush on, 
which poor Strangelove. Huey directs Snake to ruins in the north and gives him both a keycard to enter and a private letter for Strangelove. He tells you not to read it, which of course you should, accessible via the other R&D items at Mother Base. It's basically our man Huey simping for Strangelove. With that, Snake recruits Huey on behalf of MSF, and that's where we'll leave off for today. Our place is Outer Heaven. You'd fit right in. Outer Heaven? Yeah. I'm probably better suited to something like that than this paradise. Good. You get a free balloon trip for signing up. Enjoy it. You'll feel like a butterfly. You're an agent, right? Who do you work for? Me. I was a Cold War tool. Same as you. Now I'm not so useful anymore, so they cut me loose. I don't answer to anyone. Call me Snake. Snake? That name seems familiar somehow. Death. Probably just deja vu. That's mission complete for this episode. Our frequency is podcastsoundsfrontiers at gmail.com and at podsandsfront on Twitter and Instagram. You can support Podcast Sounds Frontiers and all my other projects at patreon.com slash manuclearbomb, which manuclearbomb, hey, that's me. I've been Manu. You can find me covering the Lord of the Rings over at my brother, my captain, my podcast. I'm still Brian, and I'm a new man, El Hombre Nuevo. Shout out to our sound editor, Stephen Boyd, a.k.a. DJ Empirical, on Twitter. Please remember to like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast application. So until next time, remember to find a way when heavens divide. When heavens divide, I will see the choices within my hands. How can we ever protect and fight with our tiny souls? Let me shine like the sun through the doubts and fear. Do you feel the storm? With that, Snake recruits Huey on behalf of MSF, and that's where we'll leave off for today. I'm just imagining Christopher Randolph just saying, please, I will pay for it. And it's just like, sir. <laughs> please, oh, just man. a crumb. <laughs> An AI, the perfectly rational responder. Huey, um, Huey specifically is here to, <laughs> Huey, um, sorry, get too much. Too much shit in my brain. Huey. Huey. Spe- 